we even got a comment one day when we were pitching to a, an investor asked, can you prove to me that you're actually on the ground in the operating room? Because I can't believe that you're in the warehouse. Hey folks, this is a special episode from my work archives dating back to 2021, which as I was reflecting on it, realized that this conversation in particular needed a whole lot more air for the important angles raised by some real heavyweights in our industry, featuring GV Ravi Shankar, Managing Director at Sequoia India, or now known of course as Peak15, Sunita from Let's Venture, India's largest tech platform for early stage startup investing, and Cheetah from Sayur Box, Indonesia-based startup a tech-supported distribution platform of fresh produce backed by Indonesia's e-commerce Tokopedia. Now, from removing the pitch process to changing mindsets in angel investing to challenging our own assumptions, this is your crash course on why the gender venture funding gap exists and the billion-dollar moves these leaders are championing to change the status quo. You're tuning in to the Bridging the Funding Gap in Southeast Asia panel at Deal Street Asia's 2021 PEVC conference that I moderated. Before we begin this important discussion, I did want to give a special shout out to Deal Street Asia, led by Joji, who over the past couple of years, ever since they've had the summit, have put women at the helm, women in leadership, women who are writing the checks and women who are receiving the checks as the priority for this platform that has made all the difference in the voices that we hear in our industry. And I myself, as I've evolved my career over the last couple of years, together with Deal Street Asia from corporate venture capital to now focusing on the global venture funding gap, I'm so excited that we are seeing new faces. But of course, as the saying goes, there's so much more to go and we have our work cut out for us. So to get started here, I did want to lay a little bit of the land with a bit of the landscape. Data on funding for women-led enterprises reveals a rather discouraging story with deals involving women founders or co-founders accounting for only 17.1% of the total PE and VC deals that are tracked. And of course, as Deal Street Asia does it, looking deep into the details, if we actually take out Grab, the big deal, the the mega deal in our region, that number drops to 4.7%, which means that the majority, 95% of all venture capital funding in our region goes to all-male teams. Why is this a reality? How did we get here and how can we change the landscape? So let's start with GV, maybe from, from your view, after evolving over the 15 years, what have you seen? Why does this matter? And why does this matter to Sequoia at this time? Thank you, Sarah. This is obviously a very important conversation. Look, going back, you you stated the facts as they are 5% of funding going to women founders. We did this analysis for ourselves and looked at where Sequoia stands and about 90 to 20% of our investments are going into companies that are started by women founders, which we thought was abysmally low. Now, the number that you're telling me is even more discouraging and scary because in the world, if there are you know roughly 50% men, 50% women, the fact that we have such a big disparity in how much companies are getting funded is actually quite disheartening. Frankly, you know, diversity is good for every economy, right? You want people with variety of perspectives to be starting businesses building. This one viral video I watched, many of you would have watched this, a seven-year-old child asking, why are things only man-made and why are things not women-made, right? And it's just, just something that I watched repeatedly. It was just hit the point so hard. And it's coming from a seven-year-old who was asking this very innocuous question saying, Mama, why is everything called man-made? Why is it not women-made? Why can't women build? Of course, women should be building. We need that different perspective in this world. It shouldn't be all be done by men. Built for men in a mindset that's only one side of the brain working in a certain way. You 
want people with diversity of perspectives contributing to this economy. And some of our founders, like Kunal Shah, talks a lot about women participation in labor and how that number has been reducing, particularly in India. These are all big issues that need fixing. Some of it maybe is because how we evolved as a society in some of these economies. There has been a history, but there's no excuse in current day and time, especially in a post-COVID environment where people can work from anywhere remotely, that we should not really unleash the women power out there. And uh, we need that diversity. We need their contributions. As India as an economy, for example, has to really grow faster. We can't do with only you know, small percentage of women working in the economy. So we need their contributions. This is super important for the venture industry. Yeah. is very important. And GV, if I want to dive a little bit deeper into sort of the concrete numbers here, I know Sequoia has looked at their own portfolio. Have you seen a particular trend with female founders and gender diverse teams? We are starting to kind of start measuring input metrics, seeing how many new women founders are we meeting. We all have committed time on a monthly basis that we would want to meet more women founders. We launched a Spark program. I'm happy to talk more about it. Where we are basically saying we will fund 15 women founders every year, give them a 100K grant, enable them. And that comes from some of the work we did. We actually surveyed 200 women founders and asked them, what is the issue? What are the difficulties they are facing? And a large proportion of them said access to capital, access to networks. And basically the word access kept coming back again and again, which meant like they felt somewhat secluded. They didn't feel like they were part of the same ecosystem. They just didn't seem to have the right networks and access. And we said, look, we have been doing this, like you said, it's the 16th year in, in India and South Asia overall as a region. And we have the networks, we have the access, why don't we open it up for them? And we put together this program that we call Spark, but essentially, hopefully it ignites a long-term kind of model of showing how we can bring more women entrepreneurs to the mainstream. So yeah, in, a, in right. short, it is improving. But there's a lot, lot mm-hmm. more that has to be done. Yeah. And I, I love that. I think it is about ensuring the top of the funnel, right? That's really what, what you're addressing with Spark, making sure the top of the funnel is robust and that they are getting to you. I like to share an anecdote of an, my own experiences where I speak to top VC firms every time and they'll say, Sarah, we don't discriminate. Whenever a woman gets to my door, I evaluate her absolutely equally. But that, as we all know around the table, is the wrong question to ask. It is, what does it take for a woman to get to and through your door? And with that, I want to turn to Sunita, I know Sunita, you're doing a lot of important work with Let's Venture In and, and have quite a huge portfolio as I, as I see it over the years. Talk to us a little bit more about why this matters for you, uh, what you're seeing and, and how are you approaching it? That she was founded by a woman herself, right? So Shanti Mohan is the founder. So for us, I think it was also more from a DNA perspective. And I don't think we consciously very interesting, couldn't consciously look at also hiring women, but 50% or 60% of the team is also women. What we also started seeing was, like Jiri mentioned, the number of people who actually even approached for funding. That was one problem. The second problem, which we actually saw was more from the investor side as well. So we saw very few women investors. We have 8,000 plus angel investors, out of which we had 10 women investors. That's it, huh. right? And we felt that was a really large problem. Can we actually look at the funder side as well? which can then actually facilitate the outcome from a founder side as well, right? So if I have more women investors, am I able to connect better to women founders? And I think one key other point, right, which he spoke of access to network, I think that becomes very important. We have not seen community of women founders, which we do think is very, very important, right? Because you do see the, it's majority male dominated across the spectrum, which also makes you a lot more comfortable, right? In terms of, Asking for support, asking for, hey, you know what, can you connect me to Jeevi or can you connect me to Sarah is a lot more easier. The women founders actually do not have that network and the community. I think that 
is also going to be one of the most important parts in terms of being able to build on the women founder network itself. And have you seen particularly what I'm getting at into why this matters is sort of the outperformance from a global landscape. We've seen it, right? We've seen 63%. That was a data point from First Round Capital. We're seeing women do a lot better with the cash management. And that's something that actually was a highlight during COVID-19 because the good news, bad news is they've been underfunded, but therefore they're a lot more careful with cash management. Runways are a lot better managed and they're right sizing, perhaps even um, sizing a little bit more conservatively from, from day one. What are you seeing with your portfolio? Have you seen any particular trends that you can share with us? What you mentioned in terms of women being cash flow conscious, I think it's also somewhere being risk averse, right? I do see that as something which is where a lot of women founders actually look at, hey, you know what, should I raise more? Today, if you just look at even just seed funding is a million, million and a half, but the women founders actually look at a much smaller quantum, right? Hey, it shouldn't mm. matter whether you're a male or a female, your company requires this quantum. And can you look at those kind of numbers? I think that also is very important. We have seen more risk hours personalities from women because of which you will also see the numbers actually much lower from a women founding uh, aspect too. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting trend that we do want to talk about that. But before that, I do want to turn to the founder's perspective. Cheetah, you are front and center, help responsible for growth for Cyberblocks. <laughs> How have you felt particularly being front and center in trying to expand the business as a women-led enterprise? Yeah, I, I find the, the, the discussions are interesting. There are two words that I found I can really relate to. I think one is access and then the second is community. And I, I think all both of that leads to this domino effect of not having females in certain positions and therefore not having more females in other positions. So I think role modeling is such an important thing in this discussion because like Sunita was saying, like if there's not enough investors, there's not enough people who would feel comfortable to go up and say, hey, I need funding. With Cyberbox, interestingly, half of our ceiling level management team are women and they're managing not just marketing or HR, but even operations. We even got a comment one day when we were pitching to an investor asked, can you prove to me that you're actually on the ground in the operating room? Because I can't believe that you're in the warehouse. So things like that, I think are quite interesting to, to highlight. But I think going back to your question around how it has impacted how we run the business. So there's a lot of us in the management team and therefore there, there becomes a lot of us in the, I guess, second level management team, right? The, the heads of businesses. So for example, two thirds of my heads of businesses are female, which I think are not, is not very representative of other companies, even in the same space as us, e-grocery. So I think that's the clear example of how role modeling works in this situation. And I think that, well, because we are also serving females generally, right, as a customer, I would argue that we are able to bring about insights about the customers our male counterparts might not be able to or will take longer to. And I think in this situation where COVID hit and there's a lot of uncertainties and around how we manage the team and how we respond to our customers' needs, and we grew quite a lot in the past year and a half, it caused a lot of problems in managing those uncertainties. I think it requires people who are much more risk averse and being able to organize themselves well. But I do think in this case, it, it led us to a good outcome. And I absolutely love that, talking about why this matters, right? The other element of it is two thirds of consumer purchases are, are made by women. And the fact that you're you're in this business where your consumer 
course, are changing, evolving demands and the purchases and the control of the wallet is in the hands of the women. Truly, the value of the she economy, as we speak to, right? If she's not taking care of the children, of course, men playing a role as well, but she's predominantly making the decisions on the health decisions for the parents as well. Aging parents, so and so forth, a huge economy. Coming back to you, GV, I'm sure you've you've heard of this as well, where investors' biases show their ugly heads. And I know you talk about how COVID is an opportunity for us to build forward, not just build back better, but also to avoid reverting to patterns of the past. Talk to us a little bit about how you're viewing the role of the investor. What can we do as VCs, as decision makers, especially when we know we're in a male-dominated industry? How do we be more responsible or how do we be an ally? So a great question. And look, um, all of us, including myself, carry biases, which we have to work hard to, to change. First, just one, being aware that we have them, right? But that's not sufficient because many times, even if there's a bias, that doesn't cancel the bias. You've got to actually do something about it. So you've got to take that extra bit. So for example, when you meet a woman founder and you know, you've got to make sure they're feeling comfortable about, about asking the questions. You Many times you've heard things like, hey, people are a little bit reticent to ask or sometimes afraid. And so you've got to make them feel comfortable that we are there to help them and we'll do the best we can. So for example, one of the things we do just on the access point, Saraz, we've actually instituted this thing called Coffee Chats with Sequoia and where many of our senior partners are available and we schedule with founders that are not our, they're not investing companies, but just generally women founders who can reach out for an hour and just have a conversation, no agenda. It's not a pitch. They just come and talk to us about their business, say, hey, here are the issues. What would be your advice? How can we help, et cetera? And many of them turn out to be like, hey, I finally am looking to see how to raise capital and we can we can talk about it and help them. But there are also questions on how do I hire? How do I find the right co-founder? What should I do to improve my network? How do I prepare for pitching for VCs? What's the right time? So lots and lots of questions. And you, you once you make these things available, once you tell people there is access and then see that just the numbers, people, there are lots and lots of women out there who want to be founders. Just on Spark and we, are, we have not yet announced the numbers Etc. We just had an overwhelming response when we said, look, we would do this grant program, provide 100K for 15 companies. We're feeling bad that we only have a small percentage we can support, but there's just so many applications. But the good news is, look, this is kind of starting to itself. Hopefully, we'll make this a community initiative and both access and community can be solved. We have a lot of work we do for portfolio, which we can make available for women founders, provide them the knowledge and the network and access. So we're working on those things. But going back to your question on biases, look, it is real. First thing, how do we make a change? One, we have to start with ourselves. We should have enough representation of women in the partnership and in the overall company and so on. Again, working very hard on it. There are things that take a little bit longer than we like. Uh, in fact, we've said, hey, the next new hires, the associates we have have to be women. Now, go figure out how you do it. You know, that's the mandate mm-hmm. we've given both internally and to people that help us recruit and so on. So that's something that that is a change that needs to be made. Because we realize that when we have enough women in the room, automatically the conversation changes. Automatically the right. way perspectives change. And they're willing to call us out if we are kind of using the wrong terminology or making assumptions and so on. So this is what we need. We have to just make sure there are enough people who feel comfortable calling us out and saying, look, this is a bias way to fight it. And, and GV, I, I did want to pull out so many important threads there, right? Number one was that there is not a dearth of great women founders. A lot of times, I'm, I mean, you and I have heard this, right? In so many rooms where they're like, but there are just not enough women. There are no women. <laughs> and that pipeline issue, I'm, I'm glad that Sequoia is coming front and center and saying, hey, this pipeline issue is not an issue. We 
you need to go where the women are because they're great talent as, as the saying goes, right? Talent is universal, but opportunity is not. The second thing, the fact that you need to hire women and that this is a serious mandate from the top that the next few rounds of associates, but also I did want to make sure uh, that we are thinking in the in the lines that Cheetah has pulled out, which is they're not just in marketing, in, in non-decision check writing positions, but they are going to eventually get to the places of actually being those decision makers and check writers, not just in marketing HR, which are important. Yeah, absolutely. They have to be in decision making. Listen, so our investment team mandate is we have to be hiring many more women and just helping them be successful. And again, look, we are very committed to it. We want to do whatever it takes. And so, I mean, at Sequoia, thankfully, you know, we are at a position where, you know, we, we have the resources, we'll go all at it. So yeah, very, very confident that over the next several years, we'd see a lot more women in the investing and decision making roles at the firm. And Sunita, I do want to turn to you now as we're talking about pattern matching and biases, right? Pattern matching is something that is so common in our industry and in investment, right? That's how we view, okay, this is the, the trend for success and things like that. And I, I almost think, and I'm projecting a little bit here, so please you know, disagree if you, if you will. But in Asia, I feel like we almost have an opportunity because a lot of industries, a lot of things are nascent. And therefore, we have an opportunity to build our new patterns. I look at the venture capital funds in Asia. A lot of them years ago were first-time funds, so did not have that track record requirements, things like that. How are you viewing it from Let's Venture In and how are you viewing sort of what will be successful and, and how does this play out in, in trying to be inclusive? So from a founder perspective, again, I think the lens for success doesn't change, right? Because be it a male, be it a female, it is not going to change, right? But the point is in terms of do they have the same vision and the hunger? End of day, especially in early stage investment, it is all about the team and the founders, right? As long as you're seeing that, I think you'll be able to support them even if they feel apprehensive in the beginning in terms of being able to go out there to be able to support them in terms of actually being successful. I think that becomes important. So from a lens perspective, actually, immaterial and I think one of the other important points like we were mentioning it's not necessary that women founders are also in more women focused startups right, right. we're seeing a lot of women who are coming in deep tech startups where it has been predominantly male dominated again and I think it's important to make sure that you're not biasing in terms of saying hey okay it's a makeup startup or is it a femtech startup then hey I'm going to give this advantage to the woman but it's immaterial if they have the capacity and the hunger to be able to build a business you give them the equal opportunity and support them where else is needed to be actually get to the next level. I think that's where it comes down to. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And, and it is my not so secret dream that this panel is mainstream, right? Because it's just overall investment, as GV said, how can you exclude 50% of the population from innovating, right? We wouldn't be where we are. I mean, Dr. Kathleen Carrico was the brain behind the mRNA vaccine that, that we look to as, as a way forward. So how could we exclude innovation like that, that benefits all of us, not just women. And to that, I want to turn to Cheetah to, to make sure that you're able to add in also what, what are you seeing from the founder's perspective? Is there a shift you feel in the conversation and the talent pool, everything that you're seeing? So even when I'm trying to build my team right, for product and for growth, it, it initially didn't occur to me, okay, I, I need to focus on females because I thought um, they'll, they'll just come, right? For sure, there are great product managers for females. But a year in, I found out I don't have any female PMs at all. That to me was like, I guess, a shocking revelation knowing that, that going in, that was something that I Make was there. I guess even when you're in a company that's female-led, majority of management team is female, it's still an issue. I think you, you can't just leave it to fate or luck that um, they do join us, right? We do try our best in, in conversations on hiring and promotions have that lens and like it or not, we still have to do that consciously because it's not something people consider top of their mind, right? So I guess we are progressing. I would say we're not quite there yet and I'm not 
sure if any other companies are there entirely either. Chita, I think that's a very good point. I want to make this panel as tactical as possible, right? Rather than talking about concepts, yeah, we all know this is a good thing to do, but how do we approach it? So for you, as you're growing your team and, and you're saying that we have to be conscientious and intentional about it, what, what does this take? Are you reviewing job descriptions? What does it take here? I think when I looked at it on why this happened, I think 95% of the applications were men. I know that's a function of product management in Indonesia being relatively a new practice. So there's not a lot of people there to begin with. And maybe so it just happens to be men, right? I guess the conclusion I came to was like, okay, I, I can't rely on that, right? So I ended up reaching out to a lot of the female PMs that I knew from before, from my experience with Rab, and just do that occasionally. Like every week I would spend a couple of hours just reaching out to people from on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, a few of the other, I guess, chief product officers and other startups that I know also have that question. They, they asked me, you know, any good female PMs? So I think the, the issue is really just the product managers who are looking for opportunities don't feel comfortable reaching out just yet. So I feel like uh, it has to be initiated by the hiring managers and proactively. And I love that tip. It starts with that. It's almost like a viral effect, right? Someone tells someone and someone tells someone and that's how we get to it. But this is not surprising. Again, HP did a study on looking at job descriptions, right? Women feel that they need to meet 99% of the criteria before they put their hand up. And this is in normal corporate positions that have been in existence for far longer versus product management, as you say, in Indonesia, where you need to be a little bit more creative and saying that, okay, because I've done this role, this could fit into a product manager role and I can be creative about it. Whereas for men, unfortunately, or fortunately for them, you know, it's I meet 65%, 70% of the criteria and I raise my hand because I think I can figure it out. And, and it's about changing that. I was going to say, we are learning from our portfolio, to be honest, the point to ask them what they're doing. Freshworks actually put out an interesting uh, blog. This is a company that went public last week about what they did. They, they took a mandate that one third uh, to start with and it's not the number that they want to be. By a certain time period, they want to be one third uh, women and, and they, they hit that metric. 32% they got to in 12 months. And the set of things they had to do, including things like making sure they give that extra, a little bit of extra support support for women to not drop out of workforce, right? This is about managing the young kids, counseling, sometimes even, you know, helping them with domestic abuse situations that they may be in. So they went all out and did that. And they also actually specifically focused on return to work type of program to bring women back into the labor force. Because again, people get married, move on, and then, you know, they, they're not at work, but they've held good jobs and they need to be back in the workforce. And so they created a program and then brought a few hundred people back to workforce. And so there are very many specific interventions people can do. And like we said, the founders are very innovative their teams are very innovative. So we're constantly asking them so that we can spread that word to other people and other people can follow that and make sure you know they can get to a, a significantly higher parity over time. Yeah, and, and I love the sharing here on different startups and, and what they do. I mean, in the US, uh, I was speaking to Sapphire partners that invested into Gusto a long while back, Gusto, the payroll company that has become so much more than that. And they actually talk about culture, right? And how they interview, not for culture fit, that culture enhancement and that actually builds into the diversity. As you said, GV, it's not just about having women in the room, but it's making sure that they are heard, they have that opportunity to influence the conversation. And I think that goes the same way. So I want to turn to Sunita to really ask, are you seeing anything creative in terms of being active on, on that? And, and I'll, I'll throw one out, one of our partner funds based in Canada. So we're a global consortium of over 100 venture funds and LP investors. One of them, Loyal VC, led by two men, decided to remove the pitch process completely 
only base their decision on data and milestones and they tranche out their investment. And with that, they have now 33%, I think approaching 40%, not just female founders, but female CEOs. So that's that's interesting. You know, it's something that uh, is, is not necessarily the norm. Are you seeing anything interesting in Asia that folks who are tuning in can pick up as inspiration as well? Surprisingly, not as much. I don't think we've seen any innovative criteria from a women founder aspect, but I think what we have seen is a lot more women focused or diversified funds actually coming up, right? Where they are saying, mm. can we actually support a lot more women? Very specific funds which are coming up. And GV, anything to add? So it's early days. The awareness is improving. And as many, as there are some examples said, hopefully Spark is a successful program and we can show how you know, even small amounts of money can make a big difference in, in kind of encouraging the ecosystem to really come forward. And I'm pretty sure others will follow, right? It's a matter of time and everybody knows the importance of this. Uh, we should see more people participate in this. And from our perspective, Spark is not a Sequoia only thing. I mean, we don't want to think about it like that. It's for the ecosystem. We really encourage all other funds to come together. We are committing 100K and this is not from the funds. It's really the, the GPs uh, taking it as something that is important enough to commit capital, personal capital to this. So as that is coming through, we are hoping other people, and this is done as grants, it's really to say, let's just find ways to encourage more women to come and kind of start companies, build companies. And so we are hoping we'll participate with many other VCs who will come together like this. And it doesn't have to be done as grant, whatever, but there is good economics and people should be aware that you can make real returns backing women founders. I think to what GV also mentioned, I think it's also about seeing a lot more women becoming much more successful, right? So in India, we have Nika, while there are multiple founders, there's just one person's name which is coming in all the time. And the moment you see a woman founder becoming a lot more successful, I think from an, it's just a trickle-down effect, right? I think across the spectrum, you will see a lot more people supporting both women founders as well as women founders coming forward to actually build bigger businesses. Yeah. And I was just going to ask GV as well. I love the fact that GPs are putting in personal money and this is a grant. But of course, the elephant in the room, right? And sort of the big issue is that women have always been in the early stages and sure, you need to get them there and build them in a robust manner. How is Sequoia thinking about bridging then the gap from getting them successful to the C stage and actually becoming scalable series A, series B, series C? I mean, I, I just heard from a friend of mine that recently, only today, TechCrunch announced that in Pakistan, you've never had a female founder that has hit series A. And, and that's scary to think, right? Like over this years, but they are having a moment. How are we thinking about bridging the gap to make sure that we're not just doing grants, right? 100K is great, but as to get to the billion dollar business it's going to take a lot more than that how do we ensure this i'm slightly an optimist on this to me i think if we fix the mouth of the funnel top of the funnel problem and we provide mm. access, I think the outcomes will happen automatically. Let us not underestimate what is possible. It's just give them access, give them a level playing field and let's see the outcomes. I'm pretty confident the outcomes will be actually spectacular for us to see. And honestly, Spark is, like I said, encouraging women to start and it's mouth of the funnel. But a lot of the Sequoia programs are not designed for men or for women separately. There are lots of company building type programs that we've got. We've got Surge, which was a four-month program, again, very high representation of women relative to market in that program. Then we have a program called Build, where we are, again, helping companies, working with one of the partners, X210X, to really say, how do you create an operating framework and a model for companies to scale? And all of this should be available to everybody, you know, both women and uh, men founders. And to me, once you solve the access problem, everything else will fall in place. I actually think just make the playing field a little bit more level and you will see the magic. Chita, do you agree? 
as a founder yourself? Do you think that's enough? I personally don't think the issue is actually in the fund, the funding side. I think mm. it's more what I mentioned earlier, which is around role modeling. And I guess I'm experiencing this myself personally, which is um, which is what GB earlier mentioned. Like, how do we support women who, for example, just had a baby or are kind of get out of the workforce and then come back? And so making making the workplace and I guess the companies more friendly towards possible um, diversity in terms of white way of working, right? I think COVID will help with that a lot. So I myself is a beneficiary from the situation. I've been able to be with my newborn for a much longer time and that has helped me a lot. I think I'm more productive now than before and I can't imagine being a mom without the COVID situation. So um, hopefully that'll even things out. Well, Chita, you you brought in a, a good segue, which is something that I did want to touch upon. How has COVID, I know COVID has benefited you as a new mommy. Congratulations on that. <laughs> and really important, I spoke to actually Brian Elliott from Slack, who's all about the future of work. And it's really opened up a lot of new avenues for diversity to the point of talent's universal opportunities, not remote working has opened up that opportunity. But of course, there are additional burdens where women have been hit disproportionately across the world, right? Women have been leaving the workforce in droves, starting in the United States, and I'm sure across your countries yourself. Curious to hear how has COVID changed your perspective, if at all? I think both pros and cons, right? In some ways, it's not affected at all. In some ways, yes. I think, like you said, a lot of women, I think, are not getting in there is also because of the family, right? I think single women have not had problem or people without kids have not had a problem. I think the bigger problem was because the kids are not going to school. How are you going to spend time? Right. So that's where I think the balance of work and home front actually started becoming a problem because of which a lot of people are taking a step back. But as I think if that's all is where we will be able to see things come back to normal. I don't think it's a woman issue. It's also the it's also the child issue, I think, which every everybody is facing across the world. I, I see that as a as as a problem actually. There was a time when in India we were locked down and so it was just me and my wife and my son and no help because things are shut down. And you realize how much we need to feed ourselves, for example, right? Like three times today and like there's so much work around that that for the first time you're realizing because you know when you're on the move you're not really there and somebody else is doing the work but when you when it comes back to yourselves I think there's a look there's an appreciation for what the contributions are and how to be more equal than before at least until we could get back some support and help within and maybe more men have seen how women are managing both work and home and have developed sense of high responsibility I hope that has happened now turning to the tactical towards the end of, of this conversation what can we do what are the tactical steps for funders founders Founders, leaders that are tuning in in our industry. And, and I do want to start with Sunita. We didn't touch upon this, but from an angel investment standpoint, I know you're seeing more women coming to the fold, but not enough. I think for us, one of the things which actually stood out was the number of angel investors who were there on the platform who were women, right? 10 out of 8,000 was an absolute number. So we said, how do we actually change this? And we started a program called WIN, which is Women Investor Group, which we ran cohorts and ran them through, how do you think about certain things? It's not about educating, but it's more about giving them this basic know-how and also the engagement, right? So guys, actually been a supporter of ours on this program as well, where it's about that discussion. I think it was, I can read up everything online, but what can I actually learn from other people who actually been mm. there and done those things, right? I think that changed for us. So the first cohort actually had 30 odd women out of a 20 have already transacted. I think that was for us a big tick to say, you know, what women started actually investing right in their first check. We had to make things a little more easier to say, hey, start with smaller checks, but 
one of the most important things which actually played out was the community, right? I write my first check. I'm coming onto the group and saying, hey, you know what, Sarah, I wrote my first check. So you also get interested in it and say, okay, why don't I take that first step? So it's important for that community to actually get built where they don't feel anything is stupid, right? There is no stupid mm-hmm. question. And again, like we mentioned, it's irrespective. You know, we think women founders need more support. Actually, the men need as much support, right? It's just that nobody actually calls it out. The men actually have a larger community because of which they get that connect, right? Yeah, so I absolutely love this women as investors. And I do see a question coming in here, which speaks to a little bit of the cultural stereotype on women as investors in Asia and actually whether they do have full control over their finances to make these decisions. Are you seeing any nuances in that way? Very interesting question, right? So when before we launched this, we actually spoke to multiple founders as well as mm. multiple people who are in the CXO positions of companies to see, does it even make sense for us to launch this? And what kind of program should we actually launch? Women founders... Series A, B founders, while their counterparts actually were investing in multiple companies, the founders were, I'm not too sure if I should start investing. I don't earn as much, which is another point. They were not comfortable in terms of actually putting a check out because they didn't know how much they might end up making, say, in a few years time. And do I have enough actually corpus, which I can play around in terms of making investments, right? And on the other hand, even from a few of the CXOs, hey, my husband manages my finances. I need to ask him and come back was actually a very, very surprising point for us because we said you are in a very very senior position how does it matter a lot of women actually Mm. do not manage their own finances right and I think that is starting to change but there is a large block of people who are actually there right and I think it's important for them to take that first step and say hey can I start making my own investments I'll be really small starting off and then when you get confidence actually start making larger leaps there. I will share that it's not only an Asian problem in the US, there's going to be a huge transfer of wealth to from the baby boomers to the millennials and then also wives that are inheriting from their husbands because women have, have a longer lifespan. But I heard from some of my banker friends that only 20% of women attend their financial advisor meetings with their husbands. 20% in the US. What does that mean, right? That impacts who gets funded, what gets funded, how do we control our finances and things that you talk about here, women as investors. I also really, really appreciate the lens there and, and really think that it's important and what you're doing of, of showing that, again, to Chita's point of role modeling, that you can be successful and that this is uh, one that, that everyone should be part of. And, and before Chita, I turn to you, I did want to ask JV to also give us tactical steps. What can we do? How can we move forward here? We discussed a lot about this, but I think at least for me, it comes down to the input metrics. Let's start fixing the inputs. Let's ask the toughest questions. Are people trying hard enough? For example, one of the companies I spoke to saying, how do you guys deal with it? And they said, look, we make sure the input funnel is at least 50-50. Like we should be meeting 50% of the candidates we meet for recruiting have to be women. That's the mandate. Now, you can't mandate saying hire 30% and then people will say, hey, my bar is this and quality and so on. So leave all that out. At least make sure on the input mm. metrics you're doing really well. Right? And so to me, it's really that let's let's start with the inputs and keep making progress. And we somewhere, some places we'll have to overcompensate, we'll have to do extra work if people need extra help. Just to be a bit more specific there, GV, from a partner track standpoint, are you thinking hiring from the outside or to address these input metrics? Yeah, all whatever is necessary, Sarah, to improve the balance. So we're looking at all levels. And of course, it's easier to do it at associate levels onwards so that people are kind of coming up and learning. But we are constantly looking. Yeah, that's good to hear because I mean, hopefully it's not going to take a a full generation, right? From associates all the way to partner because we need the change now. And I I think you all have said that. And Chita, ending with you, take us home here. What can we do to be better for you, for founders like you who are in the rough of things? Oh, that's that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) 
<laughs> One of the interesting examples brought up earlier was just eliminating the process of pitching. I think going through like a couple of fundraising rounds now, I do think that makes a difference. We have had kind of pitches back to back with a couple of our competitors who are male dominated from a founder perspective. And, you know, just to be honest, the feedback that we've gotten from those pitches have always been, hey, you guys are not aggressive enough. What do you mean? Yeah, your numbers don't seem as big as the others. But then when we looked at their pitch deck, we're pretty aggressive. Fundamentally, it's just like they don't they don't get that vibe from us. And maybe personality wise, the three of us aren't like big voices or anything like that. But I think that makes a lot of difference in terms of making sure the biases are better managed up front. And I guess to Jimmy's point, helping the inputs be better filtered. A lot for us to think about in reframing, making sure our pattern matching don't actually mask as unconscious bias, right? Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, fantastic inputs, talking about <laughs> GB's inputs there and, and making sure that we are all being conscientious and building a future that is inclusive and innovative. And uh, I'm an optimist like all of you. I think we have to be optimists in this business. And thanks so much for tuning in this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow our socials on Sarachan Global to get the latest on the show. It would really help me out too if you enjoyed this to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts and share your favorite episodes with a friend. I'm Sarah Chen Spellings, and you've been listening to Billion Dollar Moves.